Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Exurgat Deus dissipentur inimici eius, et fugianque odenunteum afaci eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. If you listen to this channel for any extended period of time, and you happen to dip along some of the other channels, in particular, actually, first and foremost, I want to hat tip Dr. Anthony Stein and Steve Cunningham over at Census Fidelium, because their efforts were the ones that most educated me about these prophecies, in particular with with, uh, Steve Cunningham over at Census Fidelium, uh, putting out the prophecies of Fatima videos, the like a, a whole assortment of videos about the prophecies of Fatima, Our Lady of the Resurrection, um, and all sorts of conferences from priests that talked about these uh, these particular apparitions, as well as many others, Our Lady of Knock, Our Lady of Heed, and Dr. Anthony Stein, who actually has a whole series called We Were Warned, and and did a whole sequence on Marie-Julie Jehenny and her prophecies about the three days of darkness and then correlating them with St. Padre Pio and and many, many others. And so I want to talk about the three days of darkness today, but I want to approach it from a specifically spiritual angle. And while we cannot discount the material angle of these prophecies, you have to remember that the prophecies of God principally, first and foremost, have to do with the spiritual well-being of his people. And so these things are often given in parable and in metaphor. And it occurred to me, it just kind of clicked into place. Um, I would actually argue that my angel, while I was sitting outside, illuminated my intellect to remind me of this fact and to actually correlate it to where it started to come together into a distinctive image that seems to be a little bit more clear. And I hope to share that with you today. Um, As with all things... The perfections in this are due to God, our Blessed Mother, St. Michael the Archangel, and my Guardian Angel. And any of the flaws in the interpretation are all me. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Archangel, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diabolius do praesidium. 
Imperatilidea supplicas de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionum animarum, pervegantur in mundo divine virtute in infernum de trude. Amen. Goriesu sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Sancti Iosif, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Okay, so, <clears throat> the best place to start is a tradition in sacred scripture where timelines are not necessarily given precisely. They're given in epochs that are usually uh, enumerated as days, weeks, months, years, and they sometimes mean precisely days while they might also mean years. And here's what I mean. There were several prophecies that were actually given. Um, one in particular that comes to mind, which I believe was a prophecy, were prophecies about the 20th century, and they came from Our Lady of Buen Suceso in Quito, I believe. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it was Our Lady of Buen Suceso because it was that one where she was told to look at the sky and measure the time, and it was two hours, and those hours meant centuries. And so she was given a prophecy about the closeout of the 20th century. And if you remember, in a previous podcast episode, I made mention of the fact that the significant events, um, particularly having to do with the apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary, seemed to indicate to me that the that the that while we mark properly, according to the church, the Gregorian calendar, which, is, which begins at the birth of Christ, it is more normal in the church to measure time from a person's death and their birth unto heaven. And so more accurately, it might be that the closeout of the 20th century is the year 2033, uh, which would be 2,000 years, 20 centuries, from the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And part of the reason for that is because people, august minds, minds much, much better than mine, like Father Malachi Martin, and whatever you may think of him, the, the fact is you cannot detract from his intellect because he's an extraordinarily intelligent person. Now, he was, you know, he was an archaeologist, he was... Uh, he was a polyglot. He was fluent in several, in many languages, many, I mean, more than I am significantly. And I at least have the parts of several languages that, that come and go rather, rather fluidly with, you know, with my studies. The, <clears throat> and people like him, you know, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, like a lot, of, a lot of the great saints in history had these magnificent intellects. The, and I'm not putting my brain and my intellect up there with theirs. It's simply, and I'm simply looking at the things that they've, that, that, that they examined and kind of extrapolating out on my own. Now you can agree or disagree with the, with the calendar really doesn't matter. The church has already, has already proclaimed that the Gregorian calendar is the one that we use. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's God's chronology. It's not to say he doesn't use our calendar as well. It is, however, to say that he doesn't see time the way we do. Obviously, from the eternal standpoint, from 
from a, from the objective perspective, completely outside of time, he wouldn't. I want to apply that to the three days of darkness. And what particularly keeps ringing in my head was a, was a prophecy in sacred scripture, and I don't remember where it was, I just remember the passage, that the time was measured in weeks of years, which is to say seven-year periods. It was measured in weeks of years. If you measure time similarly, then the three days of darkness wouldn't be three calendar days necessarily, although that may very well be the case, but it would be possibly three years. And if you place this benchmark roughly at the outset of the COVID outbreak and you carry it through until today, then roughly October, November, December of this year, somewhere at the end of this year, would be the end of those three days. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because the three days of darkness that Blessed Marie Julie Jehenny prophesied about also meters out with uh, Blessed Anna Maria Taigi and Blessed Elena Aiello. Now, all of these people have been have been declared blessed, with the exception of Marie Julie Jehenny, who's been confirmed blessed in her by her bishop and. and she had this, and oh, hey, by the way, anybody who would actually count, well, well, there's no way, you know, blah, blah, blah. She had the stigmata for more years than Padre Pio, so her sanctity cannot be denied. Although, admittedly, in reading, in reading her, her schedule, it looks odd, without a doubt. But she had the capacity to distinguish the difference between a blessed crucifix, one that had been blessed by a priest, and one that had not. She had the capacity to distinguish between blessed holy art and holy art that was not blessed. She had the capacity to distinguish the difference in spiritual matters. And this is, test and this is testified and confirmed by all of the witnesses and all, everybody who documented it. So I'm not going too far out on a limb by saying Blessed Marie Julie Jehenny. Now, connected with that prophecy of three days of darkness is a warning, a divine warning. And if I examine everything that I've seen over the last three years, what I've noticed is that faithful Catholics, whether they be Novus Ordo or Sedevacantist, um, whether, whether they be materially outside the church. People, people who you can look at and, you, and like you can tell that on some level they are either in motion toward or already basically, pract like basically practicing the Catholic faith, even though, even though they may not necessarily be sacramentally in the church. You can distinguish people who seem to have that clarity. <clears throat> that clarity where they seem to understand and know that we have been engaging in what appears to be the final battle of, of the spiritual war of all of eternity. I've noticed that more and more secular commentators, people who are talking about politics, 
are now talking about politics through the lens of faith. And even though they are not necessarily in the right state, you can definitely tell that those who are with Christ are with Christ, and those who are against Christ are against Christ. Now, I'm not going to speak to their salvation because I'm not that much of an expert. I can only speak to what I see. And what I see is more and more people who are becoming more and more vehement, more and more zealous for the things that are right and good and true. In a way where you can tell that they're spending time not just examining the things that are around them, but also examining their own lives. And simultaneously, I'm also watching some Catholics go off the rails, like some people who, um, I believe it was Kennedy Hall who coined the phrase Catholic Inc., some people within Catholic Inc. who seem to be going off the rails completely. Now, I can't speak to the condition, again, not speaking to the condition of their souls, but it does appear as though Satan has going, is going through the church and sifting us like wheat. And those of us who are, who are coming closer and closer to that device, to the, to, the, to the strainer that's being used to sift us out, are becoming more and more aware of the conditions of their own souls, of the conditions of their own lives. They're becoming more and more aware of what all of these things mean to what it is that they owe to God. And many of them have no idea. I think right now is a prime time for Catholic, for Catholic Inc. and Trad Inc. and those of us in Catholic social media to begin to really reach out and try to bring these people into the faith, not by the way Francis would have it, proselytization, but simply by explaining the truth by telling them about the things that they were not taught. By talking about the sins of the American government and governments around the world and tying them all together as being moves of the devil. Subtle, seemingly okay, but erroneous enough to cause the fall of millions and millions of souls. We have an opportunity. And we should be taking advantage of that opportunity. However, to not go too far off on that tangent, let me explain what I mean by the supposition that we're currently in the three days of darkness. When COVID first popped off and it was really starting to get big, what did the churches do? They cut off the sacraments. In some locations in the world, they're actually still cut off from the sacraments. The Catholic Church in Scotland has been closed for two years. Two years they've been without the sacraments. The dioceses all across the United States of America shut down. The entire United States, all of the bishops of the Catholic Church, shut down their parishes in the United States. And the only ones that were left open were the ones who were kind of prone to not paying attention to the rules. And who were them? Who were they? The Fraternal Society of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, the Institute of the Good Shepherd, the Society of St. Pius X, all of the Sedevacantus churches, 
Well, most of the Sedevacantist churches. I don't know if, if it was all of them in all honesty, but I would imagine that most of them. And those who got shut down took to the internet to try and make sure that the gospel still got out there because they would not be silenced. And many paid the price. Father Altier, Father James Alton, or yeah, Father Altier, Father Altman. Many of them ended up paying the price because they refused to be quiet about it. Some of them were able to resist even further, but many of them, many of them were immediately hammered. And we see the hammer coming down on the good and faithful priests on a regular basis. <coughs> I just messed that up. That's what happens when you go to relaunch stuff that has active videos and such. That was stupid. Sorry about that. <clears throat> the <clears throat> was hoping I was going to be able to update some software. That didn't end up working out quite like that. The, <clears throat> the good priests have been getting hammered. The bad priests have been getting promoted. We've seen this. We all know it. We all are fully aware of it. Within the dioceses, the bad priests get promoted. The Father James Martins get promoted. The Cardinal Supiches go after tradition. They don't promote the faith. They try, they try to shut down the faith. In the news this last week, the Bishop of La Crosse, Wisconsin, shut down the traditional Latin Mass all across his diocese. Is it going to work? Probably not. Probably not. Because the fact is, is you can still get the Latin Mass. But secondarily, the Mass is not necessary, excuse me, not necessary to, to sustain the faith. We had that proven to us in Japan when they went 250 years without a Catholic priest. And they were able to still hold on to the faith. And when they went to identify the Catholic priests when they were finally let back into the country, what was it they used? A simple question. Where is the Blessed Mother? Who is the Blessed Mother? And when he answered that question, they understood that he was in fact Catholic, and they brought him in, and they reestablished the faith. I am absolutely horrible with technology today. I'm totally going boomer out. Totally forgot that I had alarms set during this exact... I mean, literally just zoned it out. My bad. The... Once the priest identified who the Blessed Mother was, they brought him in and they reestablished the faith. These people who had not had the sacraments other than baptism, and it would have been under and it would have been under extraordinary circumstances, who did not have the faith, were able to sustain the faith for 250 years without the Mass, without confession, without holy orders, without matrimony, ostensibly. They were able to carry on the faith without any of the seven sacraments, with the exception of, of baptism. No confirmation. For 250 years. So we know that it can be done. We know that we can sustain our faith without the Mass. We, we are aware, every single one of us is looking out going, when is the next shoe going to drop? Now that, now that Francis has dropped Traditionis Custodis and then, and then Card Cardinal Roach dropped the Responsa Abdubia, 
We're all waiting for the next shoe to drop. We know that they intend to shut it down, or try to anyway. We also simultaneously know that they're going to fail, and that while people will not necessarily have the sacraments in their area, the sacraments will still be available all over the earth. We also know that there are going to be some priests who are absolutely appalled by these actions and will and will break themselves off from the institutional structure of a corrupted Vatican. We know these things will happen. We know it because they've already happened before. This isn't like this isn't like I'm prophesying a future. This is literally just going off of what we did in the past. And it's not even I don't even have to go back 2 3 4 500 years. I can just go back 6 months ago, 8 months ago, 10 months ago. It's not like I have to reach back to an era that predates my existence where I had to learn history. No, I could literally just look back at what happened at the same time I was getting ready to graduate AMP school and getting ready to head into aviation maintenance as a career. This wasn't that long ago. This isn't a 44-year-old reaching back all the way to the time when he was five years old. This is a 44-year-old reaching all the way back to when he was 42. So it doesn't take a huge amount of, like, you. oh, they're never going to do it. We've already seen what they're willing to do. We already know. We've already seen France has basically abandoned the faithful, the faithful in China. Would it be a surprise that he would abandon the whole world? We shouldn't be shocked by this. We're getting ready to head into the darkest period of our lives. As dark as things have been, and people and people want to believe that it's going to get better, as Catholics, we have to understand that when we're going through these chastisements, we don't know how far God's going to allow it to go. We don't know how long he's going to continue to extend his striking sword at his people. And he is clearly determined that the chastisement in this particular period of time, at least for the last couple of years, is going to absolutely be First and foremost, a spiritual chastisement where we're given bad shepherds and we suddenly realize that we're going to have to do investi the investigating of the faith ourselves. We're going to have to take the magisterium that has already been handed down and we're, going to have to, and we're going to have to learn that and study that while we read and study the gospel and read and dive into Christ's word and pray our rosaries and meditate on the holy mysteries. Now, one of the reasons why I'm such... And I... I apologize for the phrase, but I do think it is actually kind of fitting. But one of the reasons why I'm such such a whore about sacramentals, where I just want to hoard them all and bring bring them all in and try to learn as many of the, even though I'm only, even though I'm literally, I only I only practice a very sh a short number, like a very small number of them are actually practiced compared to the grand scheme. But I learn about them and I want to know. And I will do anything to actually learn about these things that the church has always taught. One of the reasons for that is because probably one of my favorite things about the church is that Our Lady has provided weapons for us in every specific time period. And if not Our Lady, Our Lord. Devotion to the Holy Face is the weapon against communism. The rosary is the, is the principal weapon to sustain and nourish our faith. Chaplets, like the Chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows. So that you can reveal the inner, the innermost things in your own heart. 
and you could see the things around you, the, the secrets that are around you that might be occluded from your vision because of sin. Either your sin or the sins of someone else or whatever. You Typically your own sin. Devotion to the guardian angel, the chaplet of St. Michael the Archangel, the exorcism prayers of St. Leo, of, excuse me, of Pope Leo Thirteenth. Wrong Leo, my mistake. St. Pope Leo Thirteenth, as far as I'm concerned. However, <clears throat> all of these things enrich our faith and bring us to greater focus. The purple scapular of benediction and protection I think was principally responsible for illuminating my, my understanding of the importance of the most difficult concept for, for Christians of all stripes to comprehend. In Ephesians chapter 6, the boots of the God, the boots shoeing your feet with the preparedness that comes from the gospel of peace. And it's because it's not this quippy thing. You know, you got the shield of you got the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, the helm of salvation, the the breastplate of justice, the belt of truth. I mean, like it's all snappy, snazzy, but I would say the most important one for Catholic warriors to know is the preparedness that comes with the gospel of peace. And I always wondered about it, kind of, you know, sort of loosely, but it wasn't until I picked up the devotion that comes with the purple scapular of benediction and protection as revealed by Marie Julie Jehenny. It wasn't until I, I picked that up where I was able to kind of dive in and understand why. And think about this for just a moment. When you venerate the cross on the, ho- on the holy feast, on the feet, in fact, actually on the feast of the crucifix of our Lord, what do we do? We venerate the cross. What do we do? We kiss his feet. The priest holds holds that that crucifix with the corpus of our Lord on it, and we come up and we bend and, and we come up and we bend down and we kiss his feet. Well, why is that important? It's important because it was revealed by our Lord to Blessed Marie Julie Jehenny that there's not enough attention paid to his feet. Think about this. We think about The woman who washes his feet in her tears and dries them off with her hair. But do you ever wonder why? Have you ever taken time out to wonder why? Why would they spend some time focusing on that? Yes, it is an act of humility to do such. And and in all honesty, there's no greater act of humility than what she did. but we lose it right there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There is another meaning to the veneration of our Lord's feet particularly of the wounds in his feet. There's another reason why those are important. And I illuminated them in a, pre- in a previous podcast because it was not outside the realm of possibility for a man to survive being crucified. Roman law said that if you survived for three days on the cross, you were let down. They took you down off the cross and you were released. You were free to go. You paid your punishment. Now, given the circumstances in Jerusalem, you would never run into that because, because the, our Lord's crucifixion went right up to the Feast of Passover where they could not allow any foul thing to be up and about in the area. And so he had to die. But there was a non-zero chance that left alone even without the divine power of our Lord and the will of God, actually in particular removing those, that our Lord could have actually survived it. It was very unlikely given the fact that he was also scourged halfway to death. But the thieves who were, who were crucified next to him could have survived as well. Except that it was the Passover, and so they absolutely, like, again, no foul thing being up up and about in Jerusalem during the Passover. And so they would be killed. But that was not the standard Roman practice. And that's the important thing to understand. Had had it been one further week from from that day... Either prior, either, either one week prior or one week after... They would not have taken our Lord down from the cross. They would have left him up there until he died naturally. And had he survived, they would have released him under Roman law. Three days on the cross, you live, they take you down, they send you on your way. As best you can, chances are you'll never really properly walk again. And, be, and more importantly, you'll probably never be able to stand again. And you'll never be able to fight again. Why? Because they put the nails in your hands and in your feet, specifically so that you could never be a physical threat to the Roman cause. 
Because a man who cannot hold a weapon cannot fight, and a man who cannot stand or walk or run cannot fight. And it's easy to forget that because our Lord did sacrifice his life on the cross. It's easy to forget that. Because when we think of crucifixion, the only three examples that we have in common parlance that everybody knows about is the crucifixion of our Lord, the crucifixion of the good thief, and the crucifixion of the bad thief. And none of the three of them survived. And St. Dismas stole paradise because he would die that day. And the other one very likely went to hell because he died that day. And our Lord, well, we all know the story of our Lord. <clears throat> he made it all possible. So I attribute, I attribute the devotion, which by the way, the, the devotion that goes with that scapular includes... Hail to the cross, our only hope. Because that scapular is actually centered around when they take the body of our Lord down from the cross. Because that's actually the image is as our Lord is placed into the Blessed Mother's lap and there's an angel wiping his feet. With a ladder with the ladder that was used to go up and take him down from the cross, also kind of noting the, the stairway to heaven, as it were, or the Stella Kaili, the Stella, Scala, Chaley, Scala Chaley, <clears throat> the stairway to heaven. All of those things are shown. And they focus on decidedly different aspects than what we normally focus on. I mean, don't get me wrong, thanks to thanks to uh, Michelangelo, we all know the image of the Pieta, the, the, the statue of Our Lady that's holding the, that's holding the crucified Christ in her lap. The probably most emotionally and psychologically moving piece of stone in all of world history. Because don't get me wrong, there's a lot of beautiful statues out there, but there are none that have the impact of the Pieta. There are even amazing statues of the veiled Christ, where, I mean, carved in stone, and you can see the face of our Lord th physically through the veil as the marble looks like transparent cloth. There are amazing wonders. But there's nothing as moving as the body of our Lord Jesus in the lap of his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. None. And I happen to be a huge fan of Catholic art, especially over the centuries, but there's nothing like the Pieta. And I hope one day to actually get a little statue of the Pieta to put on my home altar, <clears throat> because there's nothing like it. Absolutely nothing. There's no, there's no other presentation with the impact. And yet, we don't spend time really reflecting on that. 
except when you're in front of the statue. This is one of the things I like about about the the sacramental of the purple purple scapulars because it's specifically to take like you specifically have to take time to think about these things. These things that are not very often focused on. All right, that's enough of that. I've digressed for literally I think 9 minutes now. The <clears throat> The three days of darkness. Let me get back to the main course of topic here. What has happened over the course of the last two, two and a half, three years? Not just in America, but in the world. The most important thing is that in 2020, they shut down the churches. During Lent, in the Lenten season of 2020, they shut down all of the churches. They shut down the churches and then they kept them shut and said that church was not necessary. That holy mass and the bishops, unlike all of the other churches, you know, I can give all of the all of the Protestant churches a pass on this because they don't have a singular leadership structure that should have been the leadership structure to stand up and say, uh, no, you have no right to do this. They don't have that leadership struggle structure, so they would have so they would they would inherently have to go out and just be onerous as a as a as a mob. I mean, granted, it's a Christian mob, so it's not really going to get that crazy, but they would have to be onerous and, and gather together like a mob in order, to, in order to assert their rights. But we actually kind of don't have to. We shouldn't have had to. What should have actually happened is that the government should have came out and said all that nonsense, and then the bishop goes over and goes, um, you can't do this, we're not abiding, and then issue an instruction to all of his priests, you're going to continue to celebrate the Holy Mass, you're going to continue to bring everybody back to the faith, you're going to bring everybody to the Mass and Sacraments, because now more than ever we need the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now more than ever we need the graces that come from the holy sacrifice of the mass. That's what should have happened. What happened? They said, no, we're going to shut everything down. Some dioceses, most dioceses, actually shut down before the governments even said anything. Like, we're going to do this because blah, 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 we care. Blah, 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 blah. And it was all nonsense. It was the devil. You're going to sit there and tell me that, that attending the holy sacrifice of the mass, which has been obligatory for thousands of years, to everyone who can attend the mass, it has been obligatory for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, in 2020, nah, you're good. You can stay home, watch it on TV. I'm sorry, do what? And then, the Holy Father, the one that everyone believes is the, is, the, is the pontiff, the pontifex maximus of the Catholic Church, comes out and says to take the shot is an act of charity, fully distorting the meaning of an act of charity. Now think about this, because regardless, set aside what the shot's made of, set aside what the shot does to people. Taking this act upon yourself, which we had traditionally known to be self-protective, vaccination in history for the last 100 years has always been understood to be something that you do to protect yourself from harm. And now all of a sudden, protecting yourself from harm is somehow protecting others, even though patently it's not. And that this self-protection is an act of charity. What? 
That ain't right. Now let's add in the other things. Not only did he say that, but then we would later find that the development of this so-called vaccine, and they spent so much time trying to cover it up too, H-E-K-273. I think it's 273. Anyway, it's, it is a stem cell line originating, in a, originating from a child, an aborted child, in something like 1973, that was revamped and reinstilled and reboosted through the introduction of further stem cells in order to, in order, and mind you, this is this is part of the science of how they have to keep this stuff alive from further aborted babies in order to keep this stem cell line active. Because while it is quote unquote an immortal stem cell line, it is only in, immortal insofar as, and, and according to the scientific designation, as it just lasts longer than all the others. You still have to reboost it. You still have to boost it and replenish it. And in order to do that, you need the blood of further innocents. You need further sacrifices. So this so-called vaccine was developed from a technology designed to change the genetic makeup of a human being. Because that's what an an mRNA treatment is. The whole point behind the development of mRNA was so that they could go in and change the biochemistry of a person in such a way that the body would then would then be better able to fight the cancers, the genetic deviations within the human body. That was the whole point behind the research. It didn't work and it had a 100% fatality rate, a statistically 100% fatality rate. It was actually 999 995 Statistically 100% fatality rate. Crazy, isn't it? And that was a 100% fatality rate over the course of 5 years. And I don't even actually know the final condition of the other four survivors from this 200,000 person test because that was 10 years ago. But the technology is designed in such a, it is designed in such a way specifically, let me just simplify it. The mRNA technology is designed in a way to corrupt your DNA, to make a physical change to your DNA that God did not put there. And in so doing, this technology was specifically at its at its basic material moral level the mrna technology was there to change what god had established in your body fundamentally that's it the mrna technology was there to change what god had established in your body so the way god wove together your body we're now going to reweave that together so that your body supposedly can now fight a specific disease Does that sound like charity? Does that sound like the charity that our Lord would promote? Does developing that technology from the corpses of murdered babies 
seem like the charity that our Lord would teach? Does serving oneself with a vaccine sound like the charity that our Lord would teach? All of those answers are no. And yet this is precisely what the proclamation of the Holy Father was. Weird, isn't it? And it wasn't just his proclamation. It then became the proclamation of the vast majority of the bishops in Europe, in the United States, in Canada, in South America, in not so much in Africa, thank God. Technology designed to corrupt the human genome became an act of charity in the Catholic Church in 2021. I'm sorry, dude, what? Does that even make sense? And yet, that's what they said. These three days, these last two, two of these last three years, have thus far served exactly the purpose of what the three days of darkness prophesied about. The warning went out for all of the world. Now, maybe not for everybody, and this is where things kind of get a little bit shaky. But the warning went out for all of the world because what have we had an opportunity to do during this time? Faithful Catholics, even the faithful Catholics who don't really pay attention to the, you know, to the prophecies and apparitions of Our Lady across the church, even they have had time to examine their conscience and realize that something is definitely wrong and that, the, and that they need to be more concerned about the state of their soul or the state of the souls of their families. So even people who don't pay attention to the prophecies have had no choice but to examine, am I really where I need to be? Is this really what I believe? Maybe it's a little bit more important in this time of trial to get closer to God? And the lukewarm, the devil has been permitted to sift like wheat. We've seen some of the, many of the lukewarm just go off the freaking rails. And given the fact that this happened simultaneously during a time when, I mean, let me be clear, okay? The various arguments of the church did not come to my ears to the fever pitch until COVID. The, the arguments were there, to be sure. There was the argument for the set of a contest position. There was the argument for the beneplenist position. There was an argument, or the, the uh, what do you call them? I guess, they would, I guess you would call them the interregnumists. But the interregnum uh, position, now that now that Pope Benedict the Sixteenth has, has passed, <clears throat> and the and the argument for for the for the Francisites, for the Frankites, I don't even really want to associate Francis with Francis because Francis was you know previously Francis Xavier, Francis of Assisi, previously a great name of saints, but the Frankites during these last two years, have also managed to, to, to divide themselves up. And for the majority of Catholic Inc., Catholic Inc., the overarching, so like the EWTNs and the life sites and all of that, they have sort of, even the most middle-of-the-road, lukewarm, not lukewarm, um, non-committal with all of these various arguments, have been forced over the last couple of years to really examine what the heck is going on. And so you get people from Raymond Arroyo to John Henry Weston to Patrick Coffin to to even church militant 
who in the last three years has completely gone off the rails. I mean, they were doing solid in 2017. They were pretty solid in 2019. They were just hitting their stride in 2019. And then 2020, things started to get a little bit squiffy. And over the course of these last two years, they, like you can see, you, you can definitely see that there's a bunch of skeletons that they're trying to hide under the rug and in the closet and all sorts of other stuff. You can definitely see that, these, that they are going completely off the rails. They have been, as it were, sifted like wheat. And here we are, in the third day of darkness, waiting for the next shoe to drop. About the traditional, about the apostolic eternal mass of the ages. We're all waiting on it. We're, it you know, there are some outlets, I think Rarati Cherley doubts that it's actually going to be a thing. There are other outlets who are looking and going, this must be true because people, people who know, who are, who are well vetted and actually would know these things and would not say anything otherwise seem to know it to be true. There's a lot of question as to what's going on, but most of us understand the reason why we're so pensive about it. The reason why we're apprehensive about it is because we know that there's, that this isn't just a non-zero chance. There is a plurality accounted for in this chance if it's not a majority. And many people are looking at this going, there's a major chance, which is to say greater than 50%, that this shoe's going to drop. We're waiting for it. We know it's going to happen. And the question then becomes, what happens to the traditional communities who have held to the apostolic mass? What happens when they have to decide? What happens when the priests actually have to decide? Am I going to blindly obey my bishop unto perdition? Or am I going to do something for my faithful who'd rely on me to be their shepherd and their pastor. <clears throat> that warning, that illumination of conscience that shows you where you stand in the eyes of God, appears to be manifesting in this day appears to have been, in retrospect, as I look back, it appears to have been manifesting at least over the last two years. Why? Because what has happened in Catholic Inc.? Well, in Catholic Inc., names that a lot of people had never heard of are now exploding. And I mean that in a good way. Like, it's like their, their names are becoming much more rampant. Now, some of them are cutting their own throats. Some of them are doing... It, it, what seems to be permanent damage to their souls and to them and to them i mean the you know the steve skojeks and the frankites the ones who were you know pushing this hard as all get out they seem to be the ones They seem to be the ones getting cut, getting getting cut off, or at least trying to drive a wedge. And <clears throat> mind you, it's not like there's not room for debate in in the in particular in the case of of the particular occupant, like the occupancy of the seat of Saint Peter. It's not like there's not room for debate. The church is never declaratively taught, and this is one of the reasons why I get really really annoyed at anybody who declares, because the church has never declaratively taught. They have taught what we believe to be the 
the marks of the papacy, but they've never declaratively taught what happens when somebody completely moves right past those marks off into oblivion. They've never taught about it. They've never officially come up, they've never officially come up with a means of fixing it. Because nobody, and let's be real, nobody wants to think about the idea that the apostolic sea, the sea of St. Peter, no one wants to think about what would happen if the man who sits in that throne suddenly went rogue. And understandably so. But we also all simultaneously know that the guy who's sitting on the seat now has gone rogue. We don't know how far. We're praying for his conversion. You can see the ebb and flow as people pray for and against the things that are going on. You can actually watch it. <coughs> if you know what you're looking for, you can also you can also see that the marks sometimes become so clear. And this is kind of the really important thing. The marks sometimes become so clear that even when he says something that is clearly against the faith, we all know we are guided by the census fide to understand immediately that that is not to be held to be true. I, of course, say we all know in sort of a general sense, obviously not everybody, otherwise this wouldn't even be a thing. We wouldn't even be talking about this now because everybody would just know. But it's also very interesting to watch as, you know, the likes of Patrick Patrick Coffin and Matt Fred and Church Militant and... You know, Kennedy Hall and Taylor Marshall. Uh, Taylor Marshall has been best about not really engaging with the clamor. And that's to his credit. Um, But many of us, myself included, have not been quite so good about not engaging in the clamor as to all of the various arguments. We all want to know what the deal is. Now, many of us who've decided that we're not set of a contest, that, that we cannot conform to that, have done so in good faith. Many of us who are sedevacontists have done so in good faith. But none of us is equipped well enough to not totally turn into vituperative, angry Catholics when we're trying to discuss the various various point-counterpoints. Do I beat sedevacontists over the head a lot on this podcast? Yes. Yes, I do. Not for what they believe but for how they come off about it. How they fail to see that in trying to employ Thomistic philosophy on their position, they undercut it. And sometimes it's because, well, let's face it, compared to St. Thomas Aquinas, all of us are feeble-minded. Now, if St. Thomas Aquinas came down and said, this is actually the way it's supposed to go, and could clearly enumerate and could clearly enumerate it in a way that you can't, especially on Twitter. I don't know how you're going to get Thomistic philosophy in 280 characters. Saint Thomas Aquinas himself couldn't get Thomistic philosophy to fit into 280 characters. How do I know? A lot of the quotes that you read from Saint Thomas Aquinas have to be encapsulated with a picture of Saint Thomas Aquinas and a paragraph that you cannot type in to the tweet. It's a picture of St. Thomas Aquinas and the paragraph that he's describing because it's not going to fit in 280 characters. 
So how you're going to apply Thomistic philosophy to a tweet, I've got no idea. Now, if Elon Musk follows the thing and he goes to 4,000 characters, then we can start actually having some very spirited, very in-depth debates. But for now, we're stuck to name-calling after, after a couple of tweets because you're just like, would you just get what I'm trying to say? And that's not really how that works. None of us actually have the Malleus Hereticum. Except for the guy whose Twitter, his, whose Twitter handle is actually Malleus Hereticum. <clears throat> but even he doesn't have the Hammer of Heretics. Because he would then know it's actually uh, Malleus Hereticorum. But what it has shown, the, ar the various arguments, in particular, actually, when there's no argument being made. Because the, the reason why I bring up some of the names I brought up is because I've had the opportunity to see them come through my timeline and just be clowns. Not in a good way. Not in a funny ha-ha way, but in a funny hit-it-with-a-hammer way. who are willing to say slander, not just against their fellow Catholics, but against the dead. And it is slander. The church has proclaimed. The church has said that Archbishop Lefebvre, his excommunication, was invalid. It was not proper, it was not correct, it was illegitimate and invalid. Which means that while materially he may have died excommunicated and, and quote-unquote schismatic from the church, he didn't die in schism. And he didn't die excommunicated. Because the excommunication was wrong. It was unjustly, it was unjustly carried out. And it was improper, improperly implemented. And it had none of the marks of validity required for a proper excommunication from the church. He didn't go through due process according to canon law. And oh hey, by the way, for the bishop that violates canon law by doing something such as illicitly ordaining for four other bishops, the bishop is not excommunicated. The canonical censure for a bishop who breaks that violent, who, who, who consecrates outside of, like beyond what he's allowed, is a one-year suspension of faculties, not excommunication. I'm not a canon lawyer, but these are the things that, with all of these arguments and debates, these are the things that you find out. The proper punishment for Archbishop Lefebvre was a one-year suspension and a review by the Apostolic See, neither of which happened. Instead, John Paul II declared that he excommunicated himself and that he didn't even have to excommunicate him. Archbishop Lefebvre excommunicated himself. Obviously, this is wrong because it's not in accordance with canon law. But they perpetrated the lie and they just carried it out. And then Benedict, oh, God rest him, Benedict comes out and says, no, it was not right. It was not properly executed. He did not die in schism. He did not die excommunicated. And the four bishops, their punishments were not executed properly. And so therefore, even they are not excommunicated. And not in schism. 
Pope Benedict XVI said this. So to carry on like that is to lie. To continue to proclaim the Society of St. Pius X as being in schism, canonically in schism, is a lie. To deflect and say, well, it's schismatic, is the same as calling somebody a homophobe or a racist. At this point, no joke, if someone declares someone schismatic, oh, they've got schismatic tendencies, at that point, I now no longer look at them as a serious person because they are now using what in the church is the equivalent of calling somebody a racist, a bigot, or a homophobe. And given the very low tendency of racism, bigotry, and homophobes in the world, and given the extraordinarily low low incidence of schism among traditional Catholics, anyone who uses the phrase schismatic as an accusation, and not not ironically and in jest like many uh, Catholic commentators do, you know, oh, hey, you're getting a little schizzy there, you know, kind of poking fun at each other. Anybody who uses the, the word schism or schismatic as an accusation against another traditional Catholic, I immediately discount as being not serious. Because it's just a buzzword. It's just a word to catch people's attention, to make, them, to make their buttholes pucker up as they go, Oh, oh, they call me schismatic. I'm not schismatic. I must declare my fealty to the church. Bro, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for this, for this uh, remission of sins. I proclaim the creed. The Apostles' Creed, the Athanasius' Creed, the Nicene Creed. I proclaim the creed. I believe these things. I am loyal to the one Roman Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. I am loyal to the Eternal Magisterium. These are the things I believe. And if you believe them, and somebody's calling you schismatic, tell them to shove that schism right up their pursuits. They can put that schism up where where the sun does not shine. And give them a fraternal warning. Hey, bro, you're stepping out of line. You keep down this path, you're going to end up in hell. Because it starts first and foremost. If you cannot be charitable with your brethren, and I've said many times that you are not my brother unless we have the same mother and father, and my mother is. Is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church and under under the guidance of the apostolic see. And my father is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit. Those are my parents. God and the church. Our Lord Jesus and the Blessed Mother. These have been my parents for the last several years, once again, as I am a revert. And they will be my parents ad aeternum, in saecula saeculi. Period. Full stop. End of sentence. The debates as a layman... It's 
you know, it's good to throw a suggestion out there. Hey, these things might be true. Well, yeah, that's true. These things might be true. That is a fact. They might be true. And we got to kind of sift them out and figure out exactly what it is that we're looking at. We judge it, we judge it by its fruits. You know, I my previous outright condemnation of Medjugorje has sort of receded into a weird kind of doubt because it would seem that the people who go to Medjugorje are far more on fire for the faith than the people who go anywhere else. But I'm dubious. Because I haven't heard anything of any... Beyond the platitudes, I haven't heard anything in particular that has the same marks as our, as our Lady's apparitions in the other locations. Aside from Pray the Rosary. In that, it's actually very similar to Garabandal. Pray the Rosary, go to Mass, be reverent when you receive the Eucharist. Oh, hey, by the way, the church is going to be on fire. <clears throat> Which, by the way, is the same thing. I mean, it's the whole principle of the three days of darkness. This world has been on fire, and I believe that over the course of the last three years, we have been sifted. There are those of us who are continuing to hold fast. And mind you, do not take my criticism for guys for guys who have been, for set of a contest, or for guys like Patrick Coffin. Do not take that criticism as anything more than a fraternal, than a fraternal hey, pay attention. Because the path that you're headed down, we all know, heads to destruction. When you carry venom in your heart, that path leads to destruction. I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. And for the record, I don't even disagree with Patrick Coffin. I believe that that his thesis on what's been going on with the Holy See over these last couple of years, is correct. I don't disagree with him. I do not believe that Francis is actually the Pope. He has none of the spiritual marks of the papacy. He only has the white cassock. He doesn't even have anything else. He has the white cassock. That's the only thing. The only mark of the papacy that he ever actually wears, and some of the times he doesn't even do that, he wears the Pope, the the, the white clerical business suit. I don't believe he's actually like he is actually the Holy Father. But I'm also not going to be there to tell the priest, "Hey, you can't say his name during the mass because that's not my that's that's not my lane." I am there to receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am there to renew my commitment to my God. I am there to worship him. That's it. And the reason and the reason why in particular Patrick Coffin has has been driving me nuts these last couple of weeks is because I agree with him. I agree with his thesis. And he has been vicious in the theological sense of the word these last several weeks. Anyway, that's, I didn't mean to get caught up on that either. 
as if I didn't make it already clear, we we in Catholic social media, those of us those of us who are in Trad Inc. or Catholic Inc. or those of us who are on the peripheries, we all need your prayers. We all need your prayers. Because it is very easy to just pop off the deep end and not even be aware that you've popped off the deep end. We are all trying to proclaim the faith. We're all trying to give Catholic advice. We need your prayers. We need your prayers because we're here specifically because the freaking bishops aren't doing their job. <clears throat> and ultimately, if you were to really examine it, we actually have no right to be here. We simply have the obligation because somebody has to proclaim the truth. <clears throat> but we don't have the sacramental graces. We don't have the protections that the bishop would if he would just stand up and preach the gospel. So we need your prayers, always. Wow, I've gotten <clears throat> gotten uh, distracted and ended up digressing on a whole bunch of stuff. The other point. The three days of darkness results in corpses in the street. But it, from a spiritual standpoint, when your soul dies... It's because you've committed mortal sin. If you apply that lens to the world, then everybody whom you know, in particular those who are celebrating the rainbow theology, and particularly for those who are pushing the World Economic Forum garbage, all of those people who are pushing basically anything that can be found in the Democrat Party platform in America, if they're pushing any of that crap, if they're not living a life that's obviously sanctified, there's a non-zero chance that their soul is dead. It's likely, in fact. And that's the greater portion of humankind. Which means when you're walking through the streets of your city or, or down the avenues in your town or village, you look around, unless you know you go to Holy Mass with them, chances are they're, cor they're, they're walking corpses. The demons don't necessarily go after the body, although they're more than happy to whenever given the opportunity. They do, however, go after the soul. And it's interesting because, because taken from a spiritual standpoint, the, the warnings in the Three Days of Darkness is that only 100% pure beeswax candles, blessed, will give light. Those, even the faithful, who so much as look out the window during this time, will die. You must not be caught outside of your home. Do not leave your house. What is a 100% beeswax candle? Think about it. What's the process of making a candle? What's the process of bees? Theologically, what do bees symbolize? Bees, bees actually most, most perfectly symbolize a, an almost Benedictine spirituality. Ora et labora. Beeswax is the result of dedicated of dedicated work to the mission. So only 100% beeswax is only purely dedicated labor 
Labor taken in the utmost charity. Blessed beeswax. That's in a state of sacramental grace. Executed in a state of sacramental grace. Only that labor will provide light. Only those candles, and they will be more than sufficient to sustain the... Only one candle will be more than sufficient to sustain light during those three days. What does that mean? The pure efforts of one person in full sacramental and in a state of grace, service to the church, service, will be sufficient light for the household. If you remember, in the lead up to the Second Vatican Council, they were like, we're going to open up the windows of the church so that we can let the light out. And what ended up happening? The smoke of Satan got in. Because they opened up the windows to the world, and so the world, the flesh, and the devil just came flooding in. If you so much as look out the window, you will die instantly. If you're caught outside of the house, you will die. What are these symbols? These symbols, if you're caught outside, if you look outside of the church, if you commit the sin of Lot's wife, who, who when fleeing the city of Sodom, turned around and looked back and she was immediately turned into a pillar of salt. If you commit that sin of looking out at the world during this time of darkness, you will be dead. If you so much as look out there, you will be committing a mortal sin and you will slaughter your own soul. If you're caught outside the church, you will be consumed. And both the good and the evil, sparing neither faithful nor sinner, those who look out into the darkness will die. Instead, they should spend the three days in prayer and fasting and penance. Our Lady will bless the waters that you must drink, which, by the way, is the symbolism behind placing a miraculous metal in the water in order to purify the water, is to allow Our Lady to bless the water, which means that in in order to quench your thirst during that time period, you must look to Our Lady. She must always be in and amidst the waters that you consume. There's more, but I have to actually go diving into the symbolism of all of the various herbs and stuff like that. But those are those are the broad strokes in the warning in in the warning from Marie Julie Jehenny about the three days of darkness and the remedies. Because everything that our Lord teaches should be taken literally, but should also be taken with a spiritual lens. We must also look at these things from the perspective that God looks at these things. And God doesn't look at the feebleness of the, of the works of the earth. He looks at the virtue of the works of our hearts. So these prophecies are not prophecies about material things coming to pass, although they will. <clears throat> these prophecies are about the spiritual truths first. 
We can get lost into the details. Well, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? No. Look at the spiritual truth of what's being taught. First. <clears throat> because what I noticed also was that the only person in the, in the National Hockey League to stand up against their silly little pride thing with the little pride jerseys wasn't an American Christian, wasn't an American Catholic, wasn't a Catholic from any other country. It was a Russian Orthodox. And if I had to guess, I'd say that the Russian Orthodox Church is going to make some serious inroads across the world. Because if you were to look at the invasion of an army from Russia, from a spiritual standpoint, we're getting ready to enter into the time of Rokor. Just a supposition. <clears throat> this is going to go out, obviously, um, you should, this will have posted on Friday. And I look forward to actually expanding some of this with Eric on his podcast, Trad Cat Night. If you don't subscribe to his podcast, that's where I'll be on Saturday. Um... As we do our, as we have resumed our monthly discourse, and be sure to support him. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, the, um, the links in the description on Spotify are there, and you can actually click on the links if you want to support this show. Um, both you can do either the monthly subscription of a dollar a month, or you can do a one-time thing. Both of those options are available, especially if you happen to open it up on Spotify. You can see those links in the description. Um, you can also visit me at RadioFreeCatholic.com. Shoot me an email by the contact link. Um, you can subscribe and do all sort. You can subscribe and do all that stuff. You can also just bypass all of that crazy stuff and email me directly, Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com. I don't. This podcast will carry on whether or not I receive support, but it's not to say that I don't appreciate the support. I don't want to look, look a gift horse in the mouth if you're willing to support the podcast. Um, there are some other links. You can find me on Twitter at Mighty Colibri. Just run the search for Caleb the Mechanic. You can find me on SP3RN at Caleb the Mechanic. And with that, this is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <laughs>